0: hi valerie hello randall (laughs) welcome to our program everyone it's happy birthday who cares not me nope the show where we talk about things that happened on our shared birthday of october 1st um in the course of history or maybe we don't talk about those things at all we just pick a thing and then we talk about something else (laughs) how are you doing
1: (laughs) i'm good how are you
0: I'm doing pretty good. Anything interesting happened to you this week or going on this week?
1: Uh well one of my internet friends, Hymar, pointed out a Barbie that looked like me, so I bought it. Yes. Um I bought it and it came in the mail and I opened it up and within ten minutes I had melted her hair <laughs> off, which is very on brand for what eight you, year old
0: Valerie. What were you doing? Would you how did you do this? <laughs> What were you doing?
1: I was going to try and curl her hair and make it a little bit more like mine. Um, when I was a kid, uh, we weren't allowed to have Barbies, or uh-huh. my parents at least never bought Barbies and nobody ever gave us any. I understand that because it's, you know. They're
0: a, new, expensive.
1: They're expensive and it's also a kind of a complicated gender uh, example.
0: Do your parents not want you to have dolls when you were growing up?
1: We didn't have very many dolls. We had mostly like educational toys.
0: Educational toys. Yeah.
1: Which is fine. I get it. Anyway, I'm so because of that I'm sort of living out my Barbie dreams now.
0: Your Barbie dreams. I have a doll story.
1: Do you? Did I ever tell you my doll story? Tell me.
0: So uh you know this has nothing to do with Barbie, but it is doll related. When uh couch patch kids were super popular, I uh begged for one for some Christmas, whatever year that was, right? I was like, I wanna have one, it would be neat. Uh, and my grandparents, I found out later, bought one for me for Christmas, and were forbidden to give it to me by my father
1: because it was a doll.
0: Because it was a doll. Because oh. it was, it was. My son will not be allowed to have dolls.
1: Fuck you,
2: Dad.
0: <laughs> I, I can't believe I never told you that story.
2: I That's thought I really told you that.
0: bullshit. You know. You know what's weird is I found out about it later on in life. And then I saw it. They still had it.
2: Oh,
1: wow.
0: Yeah, they still had it. My grandparents have a room or had a room. I guess they kind of cleaned it up. That was just full of stuff they acquired over the years. And I saw the doll. And uh, they were like, oh, this was a doll. And grandma told me the story and then was like, well, there it is. I was like, I want that now. Yeah, (laughs) Can I have
1: it? Did what did you actually say that? <laughs>
0: no, I didn't. No. You should've. I should have. I I'm, I'm probably it's probably still sitting there.
1: You probably should get that. Yeah.
0: I mean, at the time it was sitting next to uh it was sitting next to a couple of Star Trek mega dolls. Yeah. Mega dolls. Mego, yeah. That were, you know, it was like a there was like a kirk and a Spock and I was way more like into those. Let's just get those. Can yeah. I have those instead? Yeah. <laughs> Which I didn't after all. Uh, anyway. That
1: makes me so sad for you.
0: Yeah. Well, how would my life have changed if I had gotten that uh, cabbage that patch doll? Yeah. yeah,
1: I remember the whole cabbage patch frenzy, and even though I was a little bit older than you, yeah, I would have been. Well, I don't know. They were kind of they were a little bit creepy to me, but I was hyped because everybody else wanted one.
0: What year was that? You know, you remember? I
1: feel like that was around nineteen eighty three, four.
0: It was probably like eight, nine, or ten. Yeah. So eight, I could totally get it. Nine, stretching. Ten, I probably would have just thrown it away after I got it.
1: Damn. Yeah. What's going on with you this week?
0: Uh, I guess I'm being involved at the radio station more. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, going to be a board op for the news at KBU FM on um, the evening news time. So I'll uh, have to operate the board more than I have been. I've been a Uh, board op for a while you're also still
1: working on Democracy Now!, right?
0: Yeah. do the Democracy Now! show and uh, do the live news, which is pretty fun. It's interesting because it's kind of like a lot of balls juggling in the air at the same time. You have to switch between different microphones and so on and so forth. If you live in Portland,
1: 90.7
0: FM, uh, you can listen. It's at 5 o'clock. On weekdays, I'll be doing it on Wednesday or Thursday. I'm not really sure yet. Um, and you can listen to it on the internet at FM. Just look for the KBU Evening News. Although you won't hear my voice because I'll just be pressing buttons.
2: You'll just know.
0: You'll know. Know that Randall's there. <laughs> You'll feel it. Pressing silently. At the end, hopefully silently. At the end, they do read credits and I'll be part of the credits so you can hear my name at least.
1: I'm glad you're involved. I really appreciate community radio yeah i don't listen to it a whole lot here but i always did in the bay area and um it pleases me that the number here is 90.7
0: this is a good eclectic mix of stuff um and the station has a really nice uh attitude and uh community spirit
1: that's where we were recording yeah
0: by the way thank shout out to kbu we are recording in their studio so uh thank you Uh, eventually we'll probably put this podcast on their website as well. If I can get...
1: uh, If we can stop swearing.
0: If we could stop, (laughs) number one, stop swearing. No, actually, they don't really care about that.
1: Oh, okay. Listen, show them our iTunes reviews. (laughs) By the way, everybody, thanks.
0: Oh my gosh, it's... It's so much.
1: Thanks for the reviews. Thanks for the amount of downloads we've gotten. Oh. Thank you for giving us feedback on social media. And thank you for just listening and enjoying this with us.
0: That's a good lead into we got a letter this oh, week.
1: yeah. Read the email.
0: We got an email. This is in regards to our Cartoon Network episode where I told a story of middle school calamity <laughs> <laughs> where one of the crash symbols broke during the 1812 uh, overture.
1: School band humiliations.
0: Yeah, so uh, I'll just I'll read it for you guys. Who's, who's it from? Oh, uh, this is from uh, James in Portland. James, James, James who has been uh, a great uh, friend and advocate for the podcast, but uh, reached and for out for us. Yes, reached out and says, "Hey, HBWC, I played double bass in my middle and high school orchestra. I fancied myself a jazzy getty Lee, but lacked all <laughs> talent." <laughs> but lacked all talent and dedication to even be a Gene Simmons. Oh. That's sad. We had a song we would play every concert, Down. So I'll just quickly step in here. Down is part of the Rodeo Ballet by Aaron Copeland. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to play a clip of it real quick.
1: Okay, play it. <laughs> Oh, okay. I know that song. Yeah. It's beef. What It's what's for exactly. dinner. Right? Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Hoedown by Aaron Copeland. Uh, it was as country as a middling school orchestra. <laughs> our, <laughs> our conductor was a double bass player and always wanted to show off our section. You know what the double bass is. It's like the big stand up. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. At the height of the show, he wanted us to do a twirl. Uh, for our bass along the Z-axis, much like how ZZ Top did along the Y-axis. Got it. Right. A fellow bass player really got into it, spinning like a madman, until he lost control, spinning (laughs) his right into an adjacent (laughs) player. (laughs) A loud crack rang out as the bass neck snapped. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God. Every parent in the audience saw the whole thing. The broken bass, the entire section, panicking. could help. But our conductor was jamming so hard he didn't even <laughs> notice. <laughs> After, he uh, complained to us that our section was a little weak. Oh Thanks for God. the great podcast, James from Portland.
1: Are you sure that wasn't actually you, James? <laughs> Who
0: broke the the vase?
1: I don't know. I don't care who it was. I feel bad for them.
0: I also hope that it was a school instrument and they didn't break their own base that they were brought uh,
1: Either in. way, that's an expensive instrument. Yeah, that sucks. Uh,
0: well, thanks Th- for the story.
1: Yeah, thanks for writing in.
0: If you have a, a childhood memory, that's a nightmare and you'd like to share it with <laughs> us to read on the, the air or on our show. For
1: Nightmare Corner.
0: That's right. Childhood Nightmare Corner. I have another one with the doll today, right? So like maybe, and you have the divorce one earlier. Yeah,
1: this show is all about childhood humiliation. You can
0: call in and, or not call in, you can write in and unpack your childhood trauma with us. <laughs> uh, you we can, are not therapists. You can, not licensed therapists. You can uh, contact us on Twitter at HBWC
1: podcast. podcast,
0: or you can reach out to us on email at happy who cares. At gmail.com.
1: We're also on Instagram in case you prefer that.
0: I would prefer not to be messaged on Instagram because I don't see notifications. I'll look for it. Okay. It's a secret. Uh, So today's event. Let's get into it. So in 1976, the number one song in the United States was Play That Funky Music by Wild Cherry. Wow. (laughs) That's right. Did you know that?
1: I did know that. Uh,
0: But that's not what we're talking about today. Nope, Nope. Not
1: talking about that. In the
0: United Kingdom...
1: Which is really the more important music market?
0: In 1976, on October 1st, the number one song was "Dancing Queen" by ABBA. That's right, ABBA, (laughs) (laughs) a famous Swedish band. And if you haven't heard about ABBA, if you haven't heard of
1: ABBA, this is really going to go over your head. But
0: well, maybe this will spark a new love of ABBA for you,
1: right? "Mamma Mia." Thank you. (laughs) You're
2: welcome.
0: Um, uh, Earlier this week, I posted something to Instagram where I made a bowl of spaghetti and I said, Mamma Mia. Yeah. And I was thinking about this
2: podcast in
0: advance. So uh,
1: what's your topic today? I chose for my topic the subject of ABBA. Whoa, that's very related. It's super related. I thought, you know, I have loved ABBA since I was a young child. Yeah. Uh, I like the song Dancing Queen. I figure ABBA is old enough now that a lot of people may not have heard their history.
0: I think the music is probably more famous
1: than the band than itself. Than the band. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I'm going to cover sort of the brief history of ABBA.
0: All right. Well, let's get into it.
1: All right. I'm going to start by introducing our players. Yeah. Uh, and forgive me if you are Swedish, and I'm pronouncing this terribly, but I'm giving it a shot.
0: Please let us know if you are Swedish. and <clears> If we
1: have part. any Swedish listeners, please chime in. Please, Bjorn Alvaeus uh, is one of the dudes in ABBA.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's two dudes. There's in... two
1: dudes. Bjorn played guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ladies in ABBA is named Anietta
0: Fetchgog. Uh, which one of the two ladies? She is,
1: is the blonde lady. Okay. Uh, Bjorn and Agnetta were eventually married. Mm-hmm. Benny plays piano.
0: Mm. And has a beard.
1: And has a beard. Uh, and he was eventually married to the other lady member of ABBA, Fried Linkstad.
0: Wait, so were they couples when they got together? I'll get into that. Okay.
1: Um, but first let me tell you about them. Um, Bjorn was a member of a band called the Hootenanny Singers. <laughs> the thing about them is they all had pretty decent success in their native country I mean, before they ever got together.
0: They had music careers prior to ABBA.
1: Yes. Agneta uh, had her first solo hit in 1967, um, and it was a pretty big hit, and she actually wrote her own songs, which was pretty unusual for the time for a lady singer.
0: She she was a musician of her own, had her own on the radio and everything? Yeah. Oh, nice.
1: Like a yeah, charted single. Benny was in a band called The Hep Stars, which were, I guess... Something like the Sweden's answer to the Beatles.
0: The Hep Stars.
1: Fried Friedlingstad, who we will now refer to as Frida, yeah. uh, started also putting out solo singles in 1967. Uh, she had less success, but she was still well known. So in 19, uh, 1969, they were two separate couples. Uh, they were boyfriends and girlfriends at that point, Yeah. Uh, who were friends and knew each other from the music scene. And Bjorn and Benny had started working together as a duo and recording as a duo. In 1970, Benny and Bjorn teamed up to record an album called Leica. Their wives and girlfriends, I think they were all girlfriends at that point, mm-hmm. sang backup on Leica. The first time they were recorded as a foursome was on the single, uh, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it translates to, Hello, old man. <laughs> We're going to hear a little bit of that
2: right.
0: I'm not sure that I can hear Abba there. I mean, I can hear the... You can hear the voices. Yeah, it's folky.
1: Uh, they were all pretty unapologetically folky at that yeah. point. Uh, it was sort of a... I think that was just a really big part of uh, Swedish music, hmm. more so than mainstream pop. In 1973, after that, they uh, decided to record together as Bjorn, Benny, and Agneta Frida.
2: What? Which
1: is... It doesn't make any sense. Or Bjorn and Benny, comma, Agneta Frida. It it doesn't make...
0: Like two pairs.
1: Yeah that resulted in the album called ring ring it was a success in belgium the netherlands norway and south africa sure the title track was originally in swedish but they translated it with the help of neil sadaka and phil cody only after ring ring became a hit did the four actually decide to go on working together as a permanent group Mm. they decided to call themselves abba which is an acronym of the first initials of their names. Yeah, uh, But they had to fight with the Abbas... Well, not fight, but they had to negotiate with the Abbas Seafood Company, <laughs> which was a canned herring giant. Uh, in, in Sweden? In Sweden. They had oh, been yeah. around since the 1800s. That's so funny. Big herring was trying to keep them down. Big <laughs> <laughs> So during this time, when they decide to record their first album, well, maybe their second album? I don't know what to call
0: it. I would call it the third album, really. Let's say the first album for ABBA.
1: The first album recorded as ABBA. Right. Uh, They were really into the Phil Spector Wall of Sound type of production.
0: I don't really know what that means. I mean, I know who Phil Spector is because of the trial of Phil Spector.
1: Can you you picture the sound of, like, the Ronettes or... um, Well, I'll play some for you.
0: Right. That would be good. Here's
1: a little Phil Spector.
0: I get it. It's like filled, very filled sort of sound, right?
1: Yeah. So the deal is Phil Spector would use several musicians playing the same instruments, same recording studio, same time. So he would get almost almost this orchestral sound out of pop instruments.
0: He wouldn't record them separately. No. I get it. So they'd
1: be doubled and tripled up. That was way too expensive for (laughs) ABBA at this point. So what they did instead was they recorded the backing tracks of the song twice and then played them at a slightly changed speed together, uh-huh. so it gave it some depth and sounded like multiple musicians. Yeah, but it was really just the same stuff.
0: Huh, that's neat. So they they faked having multiple musicians, but yes. they were actually just them, just them, in the same recording even.
1: Yeah, and no experimental stuff like this had ever been done before in Swedish music. So yeah, so they recorded this album. And uh, during this period, they had gotten to Sweden's finals for the Eurovision Song Contest the previous year with the song Ring, Ring,
2: uh-huh.
1: Ring, Ring. But they didn't actually make it into the competition. Do you know the Eurovision Song Contest?
0: I only know it because... Of this? Of this. Yeah. So it's
1: this competition. It's kind of like uh, The Voice or American Idol, but it's an it's a annual competition that goes on every year. And it's gone on since, I think, the early 60s. And it's not exclusively European acts, but it's mostly European acts. Acts from come from all over the world and you represent your country. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's like the Olympics of of uh, pop.
0: It's the best of one, or what? not the best, but the most voted for yes. one country. And then the, all the countries compete in each other. Exactly. Right. I remember this in Father Ted.
1: Yes, it is also <laughs> in Father Ted.
0: <laughs> My lovely horse. <laughs> Can we play a bit of My Lovely Horse? Absolutely. Okay. Here you go. So, Gotta cut the sax, though, <laughs> though.
1: <laughs> I think the Eurovision Song Contest is cheesy, and I think a lot of people think of it that way, and I think it was even then. But Bjorn and Benny, who were sort of the masterminds, recognized it as a way to get their music out to the world.
0: Yeah, it's a good advertising, even if it's just kind of a jokey.
1: For sure. Um, a recent rule in the contest had allowed them to sing in English instead of their native Swedish, which they realized would broaden their appeal a lot. So with that, they prepared Waterloo. Mm. And Waterloo was a massive hit. It was Sweden's first ever win in the Eurovision Song Contest. And because of this, they are the most successful group ever to have taken part in the Eurovision competition. Although Celine Dion also won it in 1988. Mm. But sorry, she doesn't hold a candle.
0: She doesn't? No. Did we compare
1: their... uh... You'll see. Waterloo was ABBA's first number one single in the big market, such as the UK, West Germany. In the United States, uh, the song got to number six on the Mm. Billboard Hot 100, uh, which is really unusual. Yeah. The American music market has been dominated for at least half a century by American acts and British acts. Almost never does anyone from a non-English speaking country break, yeah. break into the American market. That first year uh, with Waterloo was when they started making videos, which was pretty unusual that early in the 70s. And I'll get back to the videos later because it's kind of interesting. In November of 1974, Abba embarked on their first European tour, which wasn't great. Didn't sell out.
0: <laughs> it wasn't great. It <laughs>
1: wasn't great. Didn't go as well as they expected. Uh, but they returned to Scandinavia and sold out houses. Uh, The next two years, they released a number of singles, including S.O.S. and Mamma Mia. Mm -hmm. They were gradually getting more successful all over the world. In March 1976, three years, only three years after they started, they released the album Greatest Hits.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's very bold. It is. How many albums have they had
1: out? Mm, Two, three.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's just those albums.
1: They did it right because um, it became their first UK number one album. Wow! Uh, it got on the top fifty of the US charts, and a new single called Fernando went number one in at least thirteen countries worldwide. Yeah. After this, things get a little crazy. Uh,
0: they get crazy now. Yeah. <laughs> After this, I would make the argument that it already had been pretty crazy. But let's... So
1: this was just the lead up. In 1977, Abbott embarked on a major tour supporting the album Arrival which had Money, 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 Knowing Me, Knowing You, and Dancing Queen on it. The album not only topped the charts in markets they'd already conquered, like the UK, Germany, and Australia, but it actually reached number one in the United States. Wow. Yeah, which is, yeah. So after this, during this tour, they hit the UK, Australia, Europe. A couple of facts from this tour to show you how crazy things were getting. I'm going to stop saying crazy soon. (laughs) (laughs) There were two sold-out concerts at London's Royal Albert Hall. Tickets for those two shows were by application only. Like, you had to mail in an application because they knew there would be too much demand. Uh, and, this, and stuff? Well, this was also before, like, there was internet.
0: Oh. Well, otherwise you had to just go to the venue? To yeah, get...
1: yeah. Whoa. So they, they put in a application system for this show, and the box office received uh, 3.5 million requests for tickets. <laughs> which is enough to fill that venue 580 times. <laughs> so there was demand. Yeah. Another thing, when they went to Australia, that tour, there were 16,000 people standing outside the stadium who couldn't get in, who just wanted to hear it.
0: They just showed up. Yeah. Sat in the parking lot.
1: Yeah. They were, like, they were basically getting mobbed like, like the Beatles at this point at yeah. airports and stuff. They had 16 people on stage to do the show.
0: Oh, because of all the background recording they had to... Yeah. The, so it's like there were 16 tracks live going on.
1: Yeah, 16 musicians. I mean,
0: is that in addition to them?
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think that's total. Oh, okay. Backing instruments.
0: Yeah, That makes sense. If they did all the recording and doubling up and stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah, their the records are intense mm-hmm. sound. I don't know. It seems like it'd be pretty hard to reproduce that on stage, but they did it. Mm-hmm. During this period in the late 70s, uh, Russia... When they toured there, actually paid them with oil commodities instead of rubles. What
0: does that mean? Uh,
1: basically, shares in oil companies.
0: So, like they became ol- oligarchs. <laughs> at well, <that>
1: point? <laughs> um, the, the thing was during the Cold War, rubles had been embargoed, and they were oh, you couldn't you couldn't really accept them. I get it. Yeah, um, so they had to
0: give them shares of the oil business. Yeah,
1: That's which w- weird. I think they made quite a lot of money on. In 1977. Uh, right after this, they released ABBA the album, which was to coincide with the debut of ABBA the movie. Uh, the album was less re- well received by reviewers, but it did spawn a lot of hits. More hits. Yeah. By the way, more hits. hits. Uh, yeah. The name of the game was on it. Mm-hmm. Take a chance on me and thank you for the music.
0: Oh, yeah. Those are all great. Wait, I'm i am not going to say that because I'll just say it over and over again. Oh, I'm those not, are great. I love ABBA.
1: Yeah. ABBA's great. ABBA's <laughs> awesome. ABBA made 33 videos over their career. Like I said earlier, it was a little unusual to be doing that at this point in time because this was pre-MTV. But it was partially because their songs were hits in so many different countries and it was impossible to make personal appearances everywhere. Of course. It was also done to minimize traveling because uh, it turns out Agneta was afraid of flying and still is. Yikes. So she had kind of a real bad time on tour.
0: Yeah, I can imagine what a nightmare it would be. Um, Uh, doing international tours and being afraid of flying.
1: Yeah, and just having more and more demand for you to go further and further. Yeah. Uh, In January 1979, Bjorn and Agneta announced they were getting a divorce. They assured their audience and the press that they would continue to work together as a group and the divorce wouldn't affect anything, of course, of course.
0: I'm sure that was true, right?
1: I'm sure they intended it to be true. (laughs) It just, uh, I bet it became a lot less fun. Yeah. Let's see. More albums, tour of North America, mobbed in Japan.
0: Mobbed in Japan?
1: Also very popular in Japan. Yeah. Uh, In February 1981, Benny and Frida announced they were filing for divorce. Mm. Their marriage had been an uphill struggle for years, it turned out, and Benny had already met another woman who he married later that year.
2: Oh. Wah,
1: wah. Mm. Uh, Their last album was The Visitors in 1981, which...
0: The, the name is funny. The Visitors? The Visitors. It sounds
1: like aliens. That was their alien themed yeah. album, right? <laughs> I wish. ABBA never officially announced the end of the group, but they disbanded unofficially in December of 1982.
0: Kind of like the North Korean South Korean war. It just kind It just of sort of petered out. <laughs> suspended.
1: <laughs> One thing that ABBA is known for is was their costumes, their early stage and video costumes. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, which were
2: They look like superheroes.
1: Go look them up if if you're not familiar. There's lots of spandex and sparkle and short skirts and crazy hats and... Capes. Capes, yes. I found out why this was. Early in their career, they realized that Swedish laws allowed the cost of their costumes to be tax deductible as long as they were intended for performance only. Wow. And couldn't really be worn as street clothes. So they had to be outlandish.
0: But they, so they had to be sure that they couldn't wear them as street clothes. So they had to pick outfits that look like uh, out of control. Yeah. Like there's no way someone would wear this. There's no jeans. No. No t-shirts, exact, no jeans. Exactly so. That makes total sense.
1: I looked up the designer. Uh, his name was, if I'm uh, don't know how to pronounce it, uh, Ova Sandstrom. He designed most of ABBA's costumes with his partner, Lars Wignius. In addition to costume design, I just wanted to bring up this guy because it's funny. In addition to costume design, he was always interested in animals. And now his day job is being a teacher at Spanga High School, north of Stockholm. Mm. And his main responsibilities there is in the school's unique zoo department, caring for all kinds of exotic animals.
0: He works at a, z- a zoo in a school.
1: He works at a high school that has a zoo department. <laughs>
0: Do you know what any of the animals
1: are? I don't, but he was also a famous television personality for a few years as the animal expert on the Swedish version of the popular game show, Animal Crack Ups.
0: I'm just sad about that
1: one. Listen, (laughs) what I don't know about Swedish game shows could fill a book.
0: I mean, it's just another way that Sweden leaves the rest of the world behind in (laughs) the, the fact that they could fund their high school... Enough that you could have a zoo in it. Yeah, it's just another
1: tax another, deductible costume. It's another
0: example of how socialism works. Let's God just uh,
1: damn it. We can dream, Randall. I know one day. So after Abba, uh, I'm just going to go briefly through the members. Annetta put out some solo albums in the '80s, but she didn't tour. Obviously, uh, she was shy. Um, depression ran in her family, and she had a hard time being on the road. For many reasons, not just because of the, the flying. flying. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1988, she moved to an island outside of Stockholm and became pretty reclusive until 19, I'm sorry, until 2004. Uh, she just was a mom and a grandma and mm-hmm. took it easy. Uh, she recorded again in 2004, uh, and she's put out a couple of things since then. Um, Frida was the only one that really thrived in the public eye. She enjoyed being out and met meeting the crowds. She had a solo hit right when the band broke up uh, called Something Going On. I don't know if you remember that song. No, I, do. I don't. you want to play it? Yeah, I'll play a little bit of it. It's produced by Phil Collins, and you can hear it. If you want to leave, then why
2: don't you sing? Love anyway. I know there's something going
0: on. Oh, that's a good song.
1: She really struck out on her own. She had a she really changed her image, hmm. and that song. I was living in Europe at that point as a kid, and it was super mega popular there.
0: You can really hear, hear the Phil Collins and the instrumentation and drums for sure. My first thought was, I think I've heard that song before, but I thought it was a Till Tuesday song.
1: Yeah, it had a very modern production for the time. It was good. Anyway, she uh, she put out a few more solo albums, with the last one being in 1996. Um, Frieda met a friend of King Carl XVI, mm-hmm. Gustav of Sweden, a man named Prince Heinrich Russo. Russo? Russo. Uh, he was actually a prince of the former Sovereign House of Reuss, uh, which was a small subset of uh, German royalty. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: she married him in 1992, and she became Princess Anifried Sini of Royce, Countess of Plauen.
0: That is... Exactly what should have happened in the universe. <laughs> she is a princess. in the Abba universe. Yes. yes, being a princess is exactly correct.
1: That is the correct final form. Mm-hmm. He died mm. a few years later, and since 2008, she's lived with her partner, a British nobleman, oh, in Switzerland. After ABBA, Bjorn and Benny wrote musicals for the stage, including the 80s musical Chess, with the questionable hit One Night in Bangkok.
0: Everyone knows that song. Do we don't need to play it?
1: Um,
0: That was a song of one summer of my life. Yeah. Like it was on over and over and over again. Such an
1: unlikely hit.
0: Ugh, awful. (laughs) Awful.
1: So they wrote that with Tim Rice. And of course, they have had great success with the Mamma Mia musical. Yeah,
0: yeah the Mamma Mia uh, it,
1: it actually wasn't until 2008 that the band finally scored a number one album in America with the Mamma Mia yeah, soundtrack. the soundtrack for the movie. Yeah.
0: Did you ever see the movie? I never did. It was good. Did you see the play?
1: Nope. I did. I know you did. <laughs>
0: I did. I can't remember
1: who... Played who? Played
0: who? Maybe it was no one f- super famous, yeah. but we saw them in San Francisco. So
1: uh, Randall is a not so closeted ABBA fan. It was one of those things that when I first met him, we talked mm-hmm. about like Evil Dead and Slayer, mm-hmm. and then we talked about ABBA, and I was very charmed by the <laughs> juxtaposition. Thank you. <laughs> Lastly, I just wanted to say that they sold over three hundred eighty million albums and singles worldwide. Wow, which is
0: prolific. A- Prolific. I wonder where they rank on the all-time artists.
1: Successful. I think they're they're in the top five. I think they might be in the top three. Yeah. Are they going to come back? Are they going to do another tour? So it's pretty vague right now, but apparently they're going to do some sort of hologram presentation. Yeah, um, where they re-
0: play their music but don't actually have to tour.
1: Yeah. So they're, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, they have recorded a couple songs in the last year or two, which is pretty exciting because they hadn't worked together for all this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, they're putting together some kind of hologram thing, like somewhere between the gorillas and Ronnie James Dio hologram that they can send out on tour. And it'll be more like their 70s presentation. They're pretty much. Neat. Yeah. They're like, we're old people now. We don't really want to do it. And we're not going to look very good doing it. So let's just do this.
0: I'd go see that. I would, too. Yeah. So let's, let's go see that and we'll report back.
1: There's a couple other things I wanted to mention. Maybe no, let's do it. Okay. There's just a couple of really interesting to me facts about Abba. Frida was not actually Swedish like the rest of her bandmates. She was born in Norway, <laughs> and throughout her child, she was known as one of the tyskermane. No, can't say it.
0: What's the translation?
1: Uh, German bastards.
0: The German bastards.
1: Because her father was one of many German soldiers that had had relationships with Norwegian women to oh. enrich the Aryan gene pool. Yikes. Yeah. It was like a...
0: Uh, Find a blonde lady?
1: It, yeah. It was a concerted effort to yeah. go out and spread the gene pool. I've heard about this before. Yeah. It, Lebensborn is, was the name of the uh, program. Yeah. These kids were often given up for forced adoption. Some were experimented on with LSD and things like that. They were usually ostracized from their community. And because of that, she moved to Sweden with her grandmother when she was two. Oh,
0: That's a sad, but then alternatively, very nice story.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, but really terrible too. Yeah, it
0: could have been been horrible and horrific.
1: The other thing I wanted to talk about was... The use of samples.
0: Samples in their music or of their music? of
1: their music. Yeah. So right about when ABBA's career ended was when sampling started. Um, The technology came around for it and people were into it. So Mm -hmm. naturally, when you have pop hooks like ABBA, you would sample them.
0: It seems like a no-brainer that you would pick a mega-hit song and use
1: part of it. Yes. So the, uh, the band that we now know as the KLF... Mm-hmm. Who were then known as the Jams, the Just <laughs> the Justified Ancients of Moo Moo. <laughs> they were a British electronic primarily band that started in the late eighties and early nineties. And in nineteen eighty seven the Jams released an album called What the Fuck Is Going On and
0: Very <laughs> very accessible album <laughs> title
1: <laughs> it had a song on it called the queen and i which sampled dancing queen, queen yeah extensively yeah, like it was too like a, much
0: almost a cover of it it was y- real bad
1: i'll play i'll play a little bit for it okay for you right here Every
2: time tv or I read the newspaper. There were all these stories
0: about Stevie and the rape. The Zarskom connection and the Peter Wright case. The Luniland counsel with a budget
1: and describe- just The single came to the attention of Abba's management. They got shut down so hard. This was a, a precedent-setting case where uh, the album was forcibly withdrawn from sale. The jams were ordered to deliver up the master tape, the mothers, the stampers, and any other parts of the manufacture of the record. Did
0: they have to pull it out of the store and destroy all the copies or something like that?
1: They did as much as they could get their hands on. Crazy. Um, it turned out they went to another country and found five copies of the album later. The guys in the jams actually did.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then they auctioned them off. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they made a little bit of their money. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So ABBA went after them hard. Um, yeah. Since then, their samples, as far as I could find, have only been used and authorized in two songs. Uh, the Fugees used a sample of the name of the game. The who? The Fugees. Fugees. The f- the Fugees, yeah, refugees,
0: yeah, Fugees, Fugees. F- are we saying the same word, <laughs> Fugees? The Fugees. F- you're saying Fugees, and I'm saying Fugees. The Fugees. I think it's the Fugees. Okay. Let's. If you know, please get us.
1: <laughs> I'm probably gonna cut this out. I'm
0: pretty sure it's Fugees.
1: Uh the the Fugees used a sample of the name of the game in their 1996 song Rumble in the Jungle, and Madonna used a little bit of Gimme Gimme Gimme. In her 2005 song, Hung Up, these are the only two that ABBA ever approved.
0: I wonder how much they had to pay for this. A lot. Probably all, like one, probably whatever the number of tracks in that album, that percentage of the album revenue had to be paid to them directly. Yeah.
1: And that is all that I have on ABBA.
0: That is super, super interesting.
1: Randall, what are you talking about today?
0: So my topic is not ABBA. <laughs> or even weirdly Abba related, but maybe it is. My topic is Carl, the 16th Gustav. That guy. Of Sweden, who is currently the king of Sweden. So uh, I'll get into it. I'll get into his background a bit and then eventually we'll we'll explain how the hell I can make this connection between him and Dancing Queen or Abba. Okay. So uh, Carl... King Carl, we'll just call him King Carl for the sake of this conversation. He was born in April in 1946. He was the youngest of uh, five children, but he was the only boy. So he was the male heir. He had four sisters. His father was the crown prince at the time, Gustav Albert. He died in a plane crash when he was only nine months old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which made him the crown prince. Since there were no other crown princes for Gustav V, who was the current king, um, that put him directly in line for secession at nine months old. Mm-hmm. Right? He actually didn't find out about his father's death until he was seven, which I'm kind of, I don't know how I feel about that. Wait, it he, seems sort of weird. Do
1: you mean he didn't know his father was dead or he didn't know that it had put him in line for the throne?
0: He didn't know that his father had died until he was seven years old. Where
1: did he think his father was?
0: I don't know. There's an interview of him where he talks about not knowing who his father was or knowing his father growing up and not finding out that his father had died in the plane crash until seven. It's sort of a sad story and a weird way to begin your life, for sure. So in 1973, uh, his grandfather passed away and Carl Gustav became the king of Sweden.
1: How old was he then?
0: Uh, he, let's see, he's 73. He was born in 46. So, he was oh, so as, he
1: was a young adult. He's
0: a youngish. Um, when you become king of Sweden, you adopt a motto and a title.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When he became king, he adopted the title King of Sweden. Very simple. <laughs> okay. Right. And his motto was adopted as for Sweden with the times.
1: Oh, hip, yes. man.
0: Very modern, right? 1970s in, uh, In Sweden. But this isn't really a surprise in any way because at the same time, a new law had been passed in Sweden that formally stripped the king and royalty of of all of their political power. So
1: just figurehead at this point. At
0: this point, uh, he's. It's a basically a representative for the country in uh, dinners, state dinners
1: got it, and
0: uh, stuff, but we'll get into it. This had been true since the early 20th century, since 1917, but it was formally codified when he became king. Previously, kings in Sweden had had the title, By the Grace of God, King of the Swedes, the Goths, and the Winds. So he was the first king to say... Forget all that. I'm just the King of Sweden. We're not going to get into it. It's not too bad.
1: Gave Uh, up the Goths.
0: He gave up the Goths. Yeah. You know, I didn't actually know who the Goths were before I did this. I looked this up. Tell tell us about the Goths. Yeah, the Goths were a Germanic people who lived between the uh, Danube River and the Don River. And from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea. Basically East Germany. Okay. Right? And the, the Wends, which I hope I'm not supposed to pronounce with a V sound, but the Wends were uh, Slavic people that okay. lived near Germany. There have been a lot of kings in Sweden. As early as the first century, there have been uh, kings, written as kings. Although the first known historical king was King Eric the Victorious, who died in roughly the year 1000. Previously, there were you know, Nor- Nordic saga kings, you know. So you'll see in like Beowulf, they talk about a king and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. They're very popular.
2: This
1: lineage comes all the way from that.
0: His lineage can be traced all the way to King Eric the Victorious. Interesting. Yeah. The monarchy of Sweden is a constitutional and hereditary monarchy with a parliamentary system. Mm-hmm. So what that means is uh, you are born into it but there's a parliament that's actually in control. It was originally an elective monarchy, which means they would choose the king. Oh. Yeah, probably fighting. Yeah. <laughs> you, probably, you killed the king Fight and you were the kings. king, right? Uh, but in the 16th century, during the reign of Gustav Vasa, the monarchy was changed into that hereditary. Prior to that, even though there was fighting, there was still basically five or six families that were that king. Mm -hmm. So he was the youngest of five children. He had four sisters, but he was still king.
1: Because he was the dude.
0: Because he was the man. Yeah. But now, present day day Swedish royalty now are passed down to the oldest child. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so the next-
1: So progressive. The
0: next king of Sweden won't be a king at all. It'll be his daughter. Nice. Yeah. How in any way is King Gustav, King Carl Gustav, related to ABBA?
1: You tell me, Randall.
0: Yes. So the king married a German-Brazilian presenter. Wow, that's not very royal. (laughs) No. Her name is Sylvia Summerlath. They met at the 1972 Summer Olympics in Munich where she was an interpreter,
1: oh man, you, and a host. You know, so many people were getting laid
0: <laughs> at the Brazil. So that that Olympics was sort of a weird one, right? That's the one where the terrorist attack happened. Oh, Munich, so right? Right. It's not the the most romantic of the most romantic of Olympics, but uh, supposedly he in, had a pair of binoculars from his booth and kept looking at her, and <laughs>
2: not <laughs> the, creepy and people at all. kept
0: Telling her that hey the, the the prince, the crown prince of uh, Sweden, checking you out. Checking you out. <laughs> uh, they uh, ended up getting married in 1976 at the Stockholm Cathedral, and the uh, wedding was preceded in that evening by a royal variety performance, which is just a televised show of um, various acts from Sweden. And at that time, Abba performed "Dancing Queen" for the very first time. On television we found a video clip of it unfortunately the audio is just there's not much to it it's the it's the tape of them
1: yeah I'm pretty sure they were lip syncing for that performance
0: but there is a pretty funny uh, intro so let's play that all right
2: now make room for Abba and music of this day there's absolutely no chance for gloom when they start to sing and play
1: I don't know why that was in English, but okay. <laughs> sort of odd. I don't. I can't attest
0: to whether that's real audio for it. I think it, or it is. I do love their outfits.
1: Yes, they're, they're all dressed like seventeenth-century French nobility. Yeah,
0: and everyone in the place is uh, dressed in powdered wigs. Weirdly enough,
1: I want to have a party like that.
0: Except the king himself is not wearing
1: no,
2: a I don't wig. have to.
0: No, he doesn't have to do anything. Were you aware of the king prior to this? No, no. Um, Worldwide, Carl the Sixteenth is probably best known as the person who gives away the Nobel Prizes every year. Yeah, he doesn't give away the Peace Prize. That's given away by the, I guess, the King of Norway. But he's given he gives out all of the. science related Uh prizes the first one he gave away in 2007 and he's been doing that ever since Mm -hmm. Uh, he also hands out the Polar Music Prize Hmm. the Polar Music Prize was founded in 1989 by the late Stig Anderson who was
1: ABBA's manager that's right
0: previously mentioned management he was also the lyricist he was also a lyricist
1: it's true he did co-write some stuff
0: yeah I had told you about this before, and you asked me, "Does it? G- they give it away to uh, Swedish acts?" And Ye- they do not.
1: <laughs> yeah. What is the Polar Music Prize? The P-
0: Polar Music Prize is given away to a modern artist and a classical artist every year for their historical contributions to the world of music. It's just kind of like a Nobel Prize. In its own way,
1: so it can just be anyone, anything. Yeah.
0: So, like this year, for example, it's Grandmaster Flash. Oh wow! Okay. Who's definitely not Swedish?
1: Ah, that's awesome, though.
0: Yeah, Uh, and a German violinist. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that uh, you might know uh, Carl the Sixteenth from is there was a meme that has a bunch of people photoshopping King Carl into different hats. So if you do a search on the web for King Carl's Silly Hats or Carl, the King of Sweden's Silly Hats, you'll see what we're talking about. And I'm sure I'll put in uh, a picture in our post announcing this so you can see. But I, I knew this guy from those hat pictures. Unfortunately, they are uh, not real. He, they're all Photoshopped. Oh yeah, he's
1: not an actual, <laughs> he's not craze, an actual crazy, crazy hat wearer. Wear.
0: I think actually there might be one or two of these pictures that are real.
1: But why him?
0: Because he's got a face that looks very serious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Someone made this picture of him in a pink hat with bunny ears on
1: oh, the top. Oh, I thought that was real. It's
0: not real. They're Sad all photoshopped. Face. But anyway, they're endlessly entertaining. He's got a very serious face. And I think overall, he seems like a decent guy for royalty. He's just a rich guy who gives away awards and owns Porsches. Sounds sounds about right. That's his whole life. That's the story of King Carl, who's the king of Sweden, who uh, has a connection to ABBA.
1: Sweden seems like a really nice, chill country to live in.
0: In all the research that I did, my takeaway is Sweden sounds great. Let's move to Sweden. I think at one point there was a survey that was, where do the happiest quality people... Quality of life, yeah. Yeah, where, where is the highest quality of life, and it was Sweden. It doesn't seem like... Uh, it seems like they take care of themselves and take care of their population. Mm-hmm. And they don't take themselves way too seriously also.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. We If we move there, we'd have to eat a lot of fish, probably. Okay, we're not doing it. Yeah, so it's probably not happening. Sorry.
1: Sorry. Yeah. When I was making notes for this podcast, I just wrote down, people love ABBA. (laughs) And I wrote that because when I was looking on YouTube and other places, the comments are universally positive. For ABBA. For ABBA. It's like, we love this song. We miss you so much. Like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of positive comments, Mm -hmm. which is something you pretty much never see on YouTube.
0: Yeah, it's weird. Like uh, ABBA is impossible to hate. Like, yeah. I don't, I've never met anyone who's been like, I really don't care for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think people are, think they're superficial, fluffy pop, which is sometimes true, but.
0: If you believe that, it's still great. Like, yeah. <laughs> like even if you, even if you're like, this is not of substance, which is wrong, first yeah, it's off. It is true.
2: <laughs> first Actually,
0: off, that's wrong. But if you, even if that's your comment, then it's the best ever example of music that makes you feel good just for being bubblegum.
1: ABBA's music is really not simple at all. I mean, you can hear it just in the complexity of what you hear, but I also just listened to a podcast on the song Dancing Queen. Uh, It's a podcast called Strong Songs, and it was really interesting just going into all the sort of major, minor...
2: The construction of the song. The construction of the song. Yeah.
1: And it's it's intense. And the other thing that people's always said about ABBA was like, oh, they're just pop. They're a one trick pony or whatever. Mm. But all their songs are totally different. Yeah. There's like some that sound like a Russian march and there's others that sound like disco and there's others that sound like glam rock. It's kind of all over the place. And they really, I don't know. We love ABBA.
0: Yeah. There's a, a wide range of things to like about it. If you aren't an ABBA fan, I would suggest checking them out after. Maybe this podcast will spring you into action to do that.
1: I mean, they're fluffy to be sure, but (laughs) they're like delicious, sweet candy.
0: Yeah. I became aware of ABBA when I was a kid. It it was just a few albums in my dad's record collection Mm -hmm. as usual. I believe that that Greatest Hits album that you mentioned was part of it because I remember looking at a Greatest Hits album when I was a kid. And I don't think there was any other one. Like Abba Gold is not. Came out later. Came out later. Um, I had that album, of course. I did too. Right. But I think that was my first introduction to them.
1: I remember hearing them at roller rinks when I was very young. (laughs) Because Dancing Queen is a classic roller rink song.
0: Yeah. Mm. When I went to Holland, Mm -hmm. when I was uh, in college, this is in the late 90s. I noticed that there was a lot of electronic music remixes of ABBA songs, mm-hmm. and I was like, "This seems odd. Something is odd about this song." And it turns out that there was a band that was called the ABBA Teens. Oh yeah, I've heard yeah. Of that. <laughs> yeah. So th- it was everywhere I was going, and they were just doing covers electronically, and their voices sounded different, but not different enough that you maybe wouldn't know. And I thought this was just some weird remix. until hmm. I found out that it was a band and I bought that, <laughs> bought that CD while I was in office. I'd
1: like it's to hear that.
0: I wonder if we still have it. I'm going to go look through my collection. I did look up that band later. Uh, they got sued. They didn't have permission. To, oh yeah. So they had to change their name to the A-teens, not the abba
1: But they still put out the covers? Yeah.
0: I guess it doesn't come with the ability to use the name for the band.
1: Of course, Erasure also did uh, their ABBA-esque p- EP, which they didn't cover Dancing Queen, but they covered some of the other big ones. Yeah, Take a Chance on Me, most notably. And then we saw that Cher had just put out an album of ABBA covers yeah. this last year.
0: Well, we heard that. Heard them. heard Dancing Queen. Do you want to play Do it? you want to play a little yeah, bit? Let's I, play I'm little
1: not bit. sure how I feel about it, but here you go.
0: Cher's voice is crazy good.
1: <laughs> it's so distinctive. There's no way you could not know that Share. I love Share so much. She is great. Yeah. If you don't follow her on Twitter, I'd recommend. She's it. a hoot.
2: Yeah,
0: follow follow Share and become part of the resistance. <laughs> <laughs> the Share Resistance. Uh, one more quick note: I saw that Abba performed on the first season of SNL. Oh. Yeah. They were in the fifth episode that was hosted by Robert Klein. Okay. Um, they played SOS in Waterloo.
1: Mm-hmm. I bet their outfits were awesome.
0: I couldn't find a video of it. What? Yeah, I know. Uh, huh. uh, if they were getting a tax credit, their outfits had to be out of control. Yeah. Do you have a favorite, do you have a favorite ABBA song? I know this is weird to ask because... There are so many good ones. It's like, how do you pick your baby in this set?
1: Yeah, I might have said Dancing Queen at some point, but honestly, I think it's overplayed for me now. It's just, I, I know it too well. Just this
0: first intro that you can dance, like right at the beginning. Just that
1: it busts right into thinking it. Thinking
0: about it He's, makes the hair on my arms stand up.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Yeah,
0: I thought maybe uh, Waterloo.
1: It's funny. I didn't come to Waterloo until later because it was since it was one of the older singles. I didn't hear it in my childhood. Yeah, but I did hear it in the movie Muriel's Wedding, <laughs> which is where it made a big comeback. That was in the, the intro. I believe you. in the early nineties. Yeah, that was the first time I heard it.
0: I like a song that um, the very first word of the song is the title of the song. So you didn't you do did not question mm-hmm. what the song is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like those the upbeat ABBA songs. Way more than the, um, than the kind of the, the romantic, ballads, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Looking at the list, I it would be almost impossible to pick. I think Super Trooper,
1: not my favorite.
0: It was that was the song that I heard when I was in Holland nonstop, so it has a place in my heart. I see. Um, also, take a chance on me because the weird
1: Pick a a yeah, chance. The,
0: the background of Pick a chance. Benny chance. and Mjorn yeah. actually getting in the song for a change is pretty nice.
1: Yeah, it's good.
0: Maybe I would say if you listen to this podcast and you have a favorite ABBA song, let us know.
1: Tell us your ABBA stories.
0: I'd like to know if someone out there has a strong opinion on an ABBA song and why you do. And if you do have a song that you do not like from ABBA, have a real reason. I'd also like to hear that story. Tell us
1: your Abba anecdotes. Yeah, Abba anecdotes. Uh, this isn't going to be interesting to anybody but me. But uh, Def- I dispute that Def Leppard put out a, a cover of Depeche Mode's "Personal Jesus" this last year, mm-hmm. which a lot of people super roll their eyes at. But I love Def Leppard. I still do.
0: It was the song they played before they went on the stage. Yes, when so I went to see them.
1: Uh, the alternate that they were thinking about covering was "Knowing Me, Knowing You." Oh.
0: One day. <laughs> I would love to hear that. I guess that's it. Yeah, that's all we have. Uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, and uh, I love you very much.
1: Me or them? Both. Oh, that's sweet. I love, um, I love you and I love all of you. Thanks for listening, everybody. And um, if you haven't, uh, rate, review, and or subscribe to us uh, and or tell a friend and or come see us next week.
0: And go listen to some MABA.
1: All right. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Anywhere
1: you get your podcasts.
0: And you can follow us on social media at
1: HBWC podcast.
0: Happy birthday. Who cares? At gmail.com.